and welcome to Faith FM. You're listening right across Australia on 87.6, 87.8 or 88, wherever you are on the Faith FM network. You are joined by Monica and myself, Lawson. And hey, Monica. Hey. What'd you get up to yesterday? Oh, it's such a good day yesterday, Lawson. As you know, I manage an op shop here in Newcastle mm-hmm. and uh, it was time to assemble some new shelving. And I was back in the back of the back corner of the shop and I was all by my lonesome. It was all quiet and boring. Mm. And I thought, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to jump on YouTube and I'm going to watch the YouTube channel of one of our listeners. So yesterday, one of our listeners texted in, Happy Diver 777. And so I jumped on his YouTube channel and I watched all his videos and it was amazing. He goes scuba diving and it has like all this music and stuff. And I was sitting there assembling shelves and watching him like interact with fish. My favorite part was when he pops mm. up and he's like, Oh, that was really cool. I just saw a shark. I love sharks. And I'm like, No, you almost just died. That was a shark, dude. <laughs> so, yeah. Shout out to Chris. Christopher from Happy Diver. Oh, really shout out Chris. Amazing. In fact, Chris actually texted in this morning. He said, hey, guys, your audio is coming through the news. Uh, oh. we, we realized that our audio was, uh, we were unmuted. Oops. And <laughs> it was okay because we were praying. And um, But then I have been framed. I've been framed. Franco texted in and said, I can hear Lawson blowing his nose. And... The, the truth is, is that it wasn't I'm me. The goose. Yeah, it, it was someone else. I'm, I'm the honking one here. Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> it was me. I'm sorry, I blowed my nose so um violently. Yeah. This morning, yeah, I am just coming off a bit of a head cold, and I, I have some stubborn stuff in me that has to come out, and better do it before the show than during oh, the that show. Is, yeah, fair enough. Hey, so you're doing the right thing. Yeah, thank you. But I just want to ask, how did you go with your exam yesterday? We were all praying for you. I smashed it. You did. I, I Smash. Praise the Lord. I, I picked my pen up at 9am and it was a two hour exam Ooh. and I put it down at 10.59.55. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Good on you. Praise the Lord. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. And we are going to have our first quiz for today. Yes, we're going to have five quizzes this morning uh, and each one will get you in with a chance uh, to win the grand prize draw at the end of the show this morning. Uh, The first quiz goes like this. At the time of the census, which was conducted by Moses in the first chapter of Numbers, which of the 12 tribes of Israel was the largest? Mm, which was the biggest tribe at that time. If you can get uh, one of the quizzes right this morning, you will get in with a chance uh, in the draw. However, if you get all five quizzes right, you get multiple chances, uh, upping your your odds of being the winner for today. Um, the prize is uh, a study on the book of Daniel by Norman McNulty, a really fabulous book. We've given one away every day this week so far. So this is a final opportunity for this week for you to win that book. I'll give you that quiz again. At the time of the census, which was conducted by Moses in the first chapter of the book of Numbers, which of the 12 tribes of Israel was the largest? 0491064669. This number must be imprinted in your brains because we read this number out on the show all the time. In fact, I, I, I reckon just about any of our regular listeners probably know this number off by Oh, heart. absolutely. I, I have a friend I go to church with. She listens to the show every day. Shout out, Johanna. And she's definitely recited it back to me a number of times. <laughs> yeah. But simultaneously, maybe you're listening to The Breakfast Show for the first time this morning. And again, that number is 0491-064-669. Answer the quiz. Go for it. Get in the draw for today uh, for our amazing prize. 
But uh, yeah, Monica, what is happening in the world of positively different news? Oh, I'm going to talk about my favourite thing just about on the earth. Mm -hmm. Doggies. (laughs) (laughs) I love dogs so Mm -hmm. much. If there's any listeners that are local, can you please bring your dog to the studio? I um I'm thinking because I work at the op shop like I said earlier, mm. but I'm thinking of putting a sign out the front saying ten percent discount for anyone who brings their dog into the shop. <laughs> <laughs> that that the is doggy a discount terrible idea. Why? It'd be no, amazing. I, no, because then all of the, there would just be like a plethora of dogs in there. It would become a dog we all, thing. We already get would, a dog in about that, once but a then week. That would be and like, it's the best. It's the once, highlight of my week. Be like every day, and there'd be like ten dogs in there. And It'd be, be amazing doing little dog pees and dog See, poos. No, and it's no, so disgusting. No. Owners, owners know when their dogs can handle going in shops and when they can't. And if they can't, mm. they don't bring them. They usually no, but dogs some owners home. don't know. No, most of them are pretty savvy. Because mm-hmm. they know they have to clean it up. We have we actually have dogs come into our shop quite a lot. Um, I in, you've got introduced to a species I'd never heard of before. What's that? Um, uh, it was a, a, something griffin, mm. and it's like this French hunting dog, and he was Whoa. a big boy. And um, she had him in the car, and we were talking about him. And um, and I was like, oh, next time you come in, bring him. And she's like, oh, he's just outside. And I was like, get the dog, get him now. <laughs> and so she brought him into the shop, and he had one of those beautiful sort of old man faces mm. with, like, the beard and the big wise eyes. Oh, I just loved him. And, like, each each body part was covered in, like, a different type of hair. <laughs> he just looked like he'd been patchworked together. He was a handsome boy, that griffin. Anyway, I have a st- – it's a little bit poignant. It's a, it's the story of a dog called Mello. Oh. He was a rescue dog in DuPont, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was adopted by Kevin Curry. And twice a day for the last uh, five years, uh, they've gone for a walk um, around their neighbourhood, right? Mm-hmm. And he's met a lot of people in the neighbourhood, met lots of other dogs and stuff. He's gotten pats and treats and made friends over the years. Unfortunately, he's been diagnosed with a fast-spreading lymphoma. Oh. And uh, he's been having a hard time walking. And uh, he finally, uh, his owner, Kevin, decided, you know what? It's going to be time for your final walk. And turns mm. out that Mello is not just man's best friend. He's an entire town's best friend. Oh. So Kevin, bless his heart, wrote a letter and uh, and then went around the neighborhood and put it in everybody's mailbox. And the letter was basically written from Mello <laughs> and, uh, and just explained, you know, it's been so nice being friends with you all and thank you for patting me when I come by. Mm. However, this will be my last walk coming up on the weekend. Um, I'm leaving home at 7 uh, p.m. for this walk. And here's a little map of where I'll, you know, where I'll be walking my round mm. and, uh, you know, roughly what time I'll be, be going past different landmarks. And if you could come out and say goodbye to me one last time, Aww. I'd really appreciate that. And Kevin didn't know, like, what kind of turnout they would get. <laughs> Turns out it ended up being one of the biggest events the community's ever had in that area. Wow. Like, literally everyone turned out to see this dog off. And they all came out and they gave him treats and pats and they made little signs and they brought out their own dogs. And so on his final walk... Mello was able to, he, it took him like five hours to get around the neighborhood, but he managed to, um, you know, say goodbye to all his old friends mm. and, and, uh, get lots of pats, lots of treats, uh, lots of, you know, last sniffs of other dogs and, you know, and, uh, and yeah, and so now he's, um, now he's at home and he's sort of in, in, what's that called? Respite when they're about to pass. Mm. So yeah, such a sweet story. I love it when, when people come together like this. Mm. Just the whole, whole neighborhood turned out to say goodbye to someone's dog. Isn't that so sweet? Oh, it's the bomb. And it's so, I think 
I, I love that because it would be a blessing to the owner as well. Yeah, you know, yeah. Just seeing that community support even for a dog. <laughs> I know. That I, is so I read cool. this last night and bawled my eyes out, but I'm not going to do it on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> you already got it out. You're, yeah, you're, yeah. I got it out of my system. I'm good to go. Right. <laughs> I do have one other cute story about mm. uh, dogs. This is about um, a guy who um, practices um, little illusions, like little magic tricks, uh-huh. um, and. Uh, He's decided to help his local dog pound, his dog shelter, adopt out their dogs because they're starting to get a little bit um, swamped with uh, dog mm. adoptions, um, dog rescue, sorry. And so what he does is he goes to the dog pound and he videos himself doing magic tricks for the dogs mm. and the dogs are just like mind blown. It's so cute. If you want to have a little cutesy, um, a little happy morning, just jump online and look this up. His name's John Stezel, S-T-E-S-S-E-L. He has these little videos where he like makes something disappear in front of the dog and the dog's like, wow, where did it go? And like jumping around looking for it, his tail, it gets all excited oh. just the way a human would. That's- that's so interesting because I, I would think, like, what's the threshold there? Because I know yeah, when, right. when they do monkey, like, they do magic mm-hmm. tricks to monkeys, monkeys. and they freak. Yeah, they're, yeah. Like, they're like, what? Like, yeah. But then I'm like, are dogs smart enough to get it? Turns but it out seems they are. Like they are. Yeah. Wow. I mean, a lot of them, like, at first they're like, what, what, what? And then they start running around looking for the thing that he made disappear. Mm. And then eventually they're like, okay, you've got me. And they jump on him and give him a hug. It's so cute. Mm. Their tails just start wagging and wagging. And, um, and so he, he, he videotapes their reactions and then he posts them online. And basically it's helping get them adopted. So Mm. people watch these videos. They fall in love with the little dogs in the videos and then they go and, um, and yeah, they go and they adopt the dog. They they call up the pound and say, Hey, is that dog Mm. still available? The cool thing is this, this magician, John Stead, he's really really allergic to dogs so he has to take like four to five antihistamines mm. every time he goes to the dog pound to do this because he's frighteningly allergic to dander and uh, apparently hives are a common sight on set <laughs> mm. the poor guy that's a, that's a it's a bit of a sacrifice for him um so yeah, really sweet, really sweet dog stories. Do we have time for a monkey story? Oh, sorry, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah. all about the animals this morning. Absolutely, Fridays is a good day for them. So there's been a birth of a rare Sulawesi monkey, one of the most endangered spe- uh, endangered primates. Look at this! Look at this little baby with his blue eyes. I didn't think monkeys had blue eyes. And look at his little, little butter nose. He's so cute. Google Sulawesi monkey so you can that have a look at what I'm looking at. super cute. Yeah, so conservationists are celebrating the birth of one of the world's most endangered primates at a UK zoo. Mm-hmm. So the rare Sulawesi crested macaque was oh. born uh, at the Chester Zoo to proud mum, Rumpel, and dad, Mamasa. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so the photographs, the new photographs have just been um, uh, released, and they show uh, the little monkey clinging to his mummy uh, as he made his first outdoor appearance at the enclosure in the. Um, it's basically the UK's largest and most visited zoo, the Chester yeah. Zoo. I don't know if you've heard about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, this species is listed as critically endangered by the International Union for Conservation of Nature, and fewer than five thousand remain um, on the natural habitat on oh, the wow. Indonesian island of Sulawesi. Mm. Um, have you been to Sulawesi or Indonesia? I've, I've been to Indo. But- yeah. I've never been to Sulawesi, no. So, um, adult, the adult faces of these monkeys are actually jet black. Oh. Yeah. This, and, this one has a little cute... Yeah, but the babies are born with like a buckskin leather tone that highlights mm. their beautiful blue eyes. And then um, as they sort of grow older, they're, they're, their face darkens. Um, they're apparently highly social animals that live in large groups. And so the new baby is currently being passed around uh, by the mum to several other females. And they're all kind of sharing parenting duties, which is great to see. Mm. Um 
and each they say each uh, this is Mark Brayshaw, he's the head of the mammals at the zoo. He says every birth is a step forward uh, for this breeding program and to ensure the safety of this endangered species. So, yeah, good news coming out of the animal kingdom, out of God's creation today. Something a little bit to brighten your day. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. And we are going to have another quiz. What two men in the Bible never died? Ooh la la. Mm-hmm. Mm, it's a good one, that one. I like that one. What two men in the Bible never died? Get yourself into the draw to win the study on uh, the book of Daniel, the uh, commentary uh, by Norman McNulty. Last, is it, is it oh, and are we doing a different prize next week, DJ Shell? So this is this is their last chance to win this particular book. Yes. Yeah, so today is your last chance to get in with it, um, to get in to win it. Uh, we will be drawing it around about eight thirty this morning. So make sure that you are um, playing along, getting your answers in. Uh, what two men in the Bible never died? Mm, absolutely. Hey, if you know the answer, to that one zero four nine one zero six four six six nine, and it's probably you might know it quite quickly because <laughs> so two people and to never die that is a pretty uncommon human experience very rare very rare <laughs> uh, in in fact well one of the answers you know i'm going to give you a clue guys one of the answers is not jesus yeah because even jesus died it very very big death probably the biggest death probably in the like bible one of the most important deaths <laughs> probably like yeah. the, the climax of the bible yeah, right there so Interesting, interesting stuff. 0491-064-669 is the number to call a text. All right, Monica, we are going to talk about crime. Ooh la la. And how people deal with crime. Mm-hmm. And what we're seeing happening in the United States. So what, what started me down this journey of thinking about crime and thinking about, as I said in our intro section, the tale of two cities, was uh, an article that was put out uh, about Atlanta. So... Uh, Atlanta is the capital city of the state of Georgia. It's a huge metropolitan area in Georgia. And Atlanta has just approved funding for a police training center that's called the Atlanta Public, Public Saint, the Atlanta Public Safety Training Center. Um, but it, critics are calling it Cop City, essentially. <laughs> and it's, it's, you know, they approved $31 million spend to be able to build this facility and it will train police officers. Now, it makes sense why they are doing this. And that is because Atlanta currently is, as so I was looking up crime statistics, Atlanta is safer than 3% of US neighborhoods. So it's less safe than 97% of neighbourhoods in the US. That's such a so weird way to give that so, statistic. Well, it's because this is the, the way the statistics were presented. But Atlanta is in the top couple percentile of the most dangerous yeah. cities in the United States. Yeah, wow. In terms of crime rate, in terms of homicide rate, like violent crime, property crime, all these things. Um so this is this is like the the level that the city is at, and this is the crime problem they're facing and struggling with. And so, in response to that, the mayor of Atlanta has said, "Well, we need to train more police to be able to help this crime problem." Now, we have seen over the last couple of years in the America in, in America as a result of you know Black Lives Matter and and you know uh, protesting and riot and what riots and whatnot. General uh, wokeness. Yeah, but there has been a, a big movement of defund the police. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know get rid of police and stop policing so hard and then we'll be Wasn't that always just gonna backfire? Well what 
there is a sentiment to it that I agree with that over policing is wrong and actually causes more problems than it solves. And I think that corrupt police, like giving when the idea of giving, uh, you know, one body too much power, which would lead to over policing and would lead to the abuse of that power. I'm like, that's terrible. And, And it has resulted in, you know, lots of terrible injustice, but simultaneously it, also, defund the police doesn't work. Yeah. And how we know this is because of Chicago. Now, we talked about Chicago and the former mayor of Chicago, Lori Lightfoot. We talked about her earlier this year because she was very unceremoniously, she did a stint as mayor mm-hmm. and was not put up for re-election and was just totally roasted because she became uh, mayor riding the wave of defund the police mm-hmm. and Black Lives Matter. She mm-hmm. was like, oh, we need to change Chicago. Because Chicago is an incredibly violent area um, and has been known for violent crimes. And they were like, oh, you know, Lori Lightfoot was like, hey, this is a result of Chicago, you know, being over-policed. And so we need to change this. And, and she came in and it actually led to a drastic spike in violent crime in Chicago. Now, in Chicago, so there was actually before Lori Lightfoot, in 2017, there was a huge spike in crime and because uh, I was just looking at crime statistics from Chicago and I'm like why was there this huge spike in 2017 and in 2017 there was a drastic drop in traffic stops and just general policing like police checks and all these different things and we see correlated with this drastic drop so it dropped from 80,000 per month which Chicago is a massive city so you know that's you know it might sound like a lot but Chicago was huge. It went from 80,000 a month to 50,000 a month. So a huge reduction. And then there was a big spike in crime. And so then they reversed that over the next year. They're like, okay, we need to increase these stops so that we can reduce crime. Cause we're seeing a correlation here. And as soon as they increased the stops and, you know, the traffic stops and general policing and these kinds of things, crime, violent crime, homicide fell in Chicago. Now Chicago is, is known, uh, you know, quite prominently for for gang violence. Mm -hmm. And so having these kinds of stops and general policing helps to break that up. And there was a drop in crime as a result of this. Then Lori Lightfoot gets in as mayor, you know, after they have, you know, um, the BLM protests and whatnot, Lori Lightfoot gets in and there is a huge, a massive spike um, in violent crime as a result of, you know, her efforts to, defund the police because they were defunded in Chicago. There was uh, huge spending cuts on, on the police in Chicago. And there was a a massive amount of police leaving because they're like, we are totally understaffed. This is like a job that is not worth doing in a city like Chicago. If we can't, you know, be equipped to be able to solve and control crime in Chicago and already super dangerous and violent area, Mm. then why would we even stay? Submit themselves to that area. Yeah. And so there was a massive then spike and then, Ultimately, Lori Lightfoot was was booted from being the mayor of Chicago. Now, again, coming back to Atlanta. So remember those crime statistics that I oddly said before, right? Mm -hmm. So Chicago, even at its peak, so it was in the 91st percentile of crime. And every effort to defund the police in Chicago has led to an increase in crime. But right now, it's in the 91st percentile. Again, what was the statistic for Atlanta? The 97th percentile. Mm-hmm. So Atlanta is even worse than Chicago. Oh, wow. Like, like, wow. like way worse than Chicago, which again, Chicago has this huge reputation for violent crime. 
And Atlanta's even worse. And so Atlanta is responding. They've looked at a place like Chicago. They've looked at defund the police. They've looked at all this stuff and they're like, okay, well, that's obviously not the way to go because it's leading to more crime. So what are we going to do? Train police officers. Because this is, this is the thing. This is what's so important is policing isn't a problem or it, it what you can do to subvert the problem of police injustice and brutality and all those things is better training. Mm. And so what are they doing? Are they like, oh, we're just going to hire more police? No. no. They've got to train more police. This is like the best news for any crimes, you know, crime statistic person, for any criminologist. It's like, oh, how are they going to solve the problem of crime in Atlanta? We're going to train police. Uh, we're going to enable them to be better police officers to better help and serve the community. And it's just crazy to me that all this criticism has come from this, that, oh, it's cop city. Oh, this is totalitarian. This is this, this is that and the other. And I think what it shows here is that in spite of statistics, in spite of obvious examples, ideology yeah. has really taken a hold in so many areas. And, you know, we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, like Target and, you know, all this stuff mm-hmm. from the mm-hmm. LGBT perspective. But then on the other side, from a CRT perspective or a critical race theory perspective, you know, saying, oh, society is inherently set up to oppress one kind of people, which I believe at times it has. You know, mm-hmm. in the United States, mm-hmm. there were these things called Jim Crow laws, which is systemic laws that would that would ex, you know exclude black people from being able to participate in African Americans from being able to participate accurately in society like in well like th- these things exist but the idea that oh hey we're going to solve crime we're going to solve gang violence um, by taking away the police's ability to be able to respond to it and control it it just doesn't work and so I'm looking at Atlanta right now I'm like okay that that's a I think what they're doing is a good thing going, you know, and training police and trying to help police officers be better police officers so they can better respond to crime. Because, you know, what happens at a police training center? They teach you counseling. They teach you all kinds of, yes, they teach you how to respond to violent crimes and being able to control situations like that. But counseling and and whatnot, I I just know, I I know a fair few police officers and they've been a blessing to, I haven't had any run-ins with the police, but, you know, hearing about their job and the work they do, they're a real blessing to their community. And I know that, you know, there's always corruption, there's always difficulty, and there's always times in which police will not do the wrong thing. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's train them up to be better. Amen. Interesting stuff. Hey, 0491-064-669 is our number to call or text. Let us know what you think. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. And Monica, you are going to give us another clue for the quiz. Now I'm going to give you quiz three. <clears throat> Who built the first city? That's oh. It. Do you know the answer? Who built the first city? Mm, I didn't know this. It wasn't me. Who built the first city? Yeah, tell us. Mm, absolutely. Hey, we have come to the time of the show where we do an interview and we are so blessed to be able to talk about the first circumnavigation of Australia by car. And we've got our friend joining us this morning, bringing us all the information about it. Dude, Kevin, how are you doing? Yeah, good, thank you, Lawson, and hi, Mel, uh, Monica, good mm. to be here today. How's it going? I'm doing real well, although my throat's a little bit croaky, but hopefully we will 
yeah. be able to get through. Oh, and that's I- awesome that we could be in this confined space together, you know, <laughs> sharing that with one another. I'm actually glad that you turned up alive because I, I'm pretty sure I tailgated you up the driveway this morning. Uh, you did. <laughs> we you were did. coming down the hill and I was like, i got to turn into this driveway. And then I was oh, no, the guy in front of me is turning as well. How embarrassing. <laughs> then it turned out to be our interview. <laughs> Epic. No oh, problem. <laughs> awesome. Okay, Kevin. So we're talking about. Th- I, I love. I love this because you know there are there are some things that are are amazing to claim. You know, people who like circumnavigate the world in a boat, or or you know, fly around the world on a plane. The first people to do that, or you know, the first people to. Or there was a guy who just rode from I think it was Melbourne to Cairns on a push scooter. This Japanese teenager, which was mm-hmm. the coolest thing ever, but. To drive all around Australia, that is another one of those feats, particularly way back in the day when cars were not the same as they are now. But the amazing thing about this is that it was used as a mission to reach people. Yes, that is correct. Mm. We actually need to go back to 1925. Mm. So in uh, two years' time, it will be the 100th anniversary Mm of the first car to circumnavigate Australia. Wow. And the crazy thing was that Neville, the driver of this car, mm-hmm. never intended when he first started to do that. Mm-hmm. His original intent was to um, just mm. travel up in the northern section of uh, Western Australia and to sell some books on our day in the light of prophecy. So, what is going to be really helpful, I think, uh, Lawson, mm. is to talk a little bit about what really motivated this guy to even start the journey. Yeah, absolutely. In in 1925, yep. in a, it's, a, it's a Citroen, right? It's a Citroen, but what happened was Neville, as an 18-year-old... Mm went to a Bible prophecy seminar. Amazing. And he, as an 18-year-old, was absolutely amazed with what he learned about Mm. what had happened in the past and what the Bible predicted in the future. Absolutely. So he made a commitment to Christ as an Mm 18-year-old And he decided I needed to get some. He needed to get some training and understanding. So he went off to a Bible college for a couple of years, and he was attending a Bible camp. And at the camp, there was a request: Is there anyone who would like to travel through the northern part of Western Australia mm-hmm. and sell books? And the book that they were selling is Our Day in the Light of Bible Prophecy. Oh, amazing! And Neville put his hand up and said. I am happy to do that. Mm. So this is how he started. First of all, he bought a push bike. Yes. <laughs> I love this. I love this. Okay, he so bought he a, pushy. a push bike uh-huh. and he headed up from Perth um, up through northern and heading towards Mikathara on a push bike. Mm. Now, as you appreciate, roads back in 1924, this is now, um, not the best, Mm-hmm. But he managed to get probably two or three hundred kilometers up the road and decided this is not working. So he went back to Perth and bought then a motorbike. Mm-hmm. So with his motorbike, he then heads back up the same highway towards Mikathara. And just after Mikathara, the motorbike conks out. 
totally mm. conks out. And he then says, well, now what am I going to do? Now, this is crazy. He decided, I'm not going to walk back to Mikathara. He walked from Mikathara across the desert to the coastal road on the western um, side of Western Australia. Wow. And then hitchhiked back down to Perth uh-huh. and continued to sell books for the rest of 1924. That is incredible. Then he came up with this idea. I know what I really need. I need a car. Mm. And so at that point, at the end of 1924, he bought this little Citroen 5CV um, machine. Mm-hmm. And then he persuaded a mate, Greg, uh, who was also attending the same Bible college, why don't you come with me and we will travel together and sell together. Mm. So on August 4, 1925, the two of them set out from Perth, heading north with the intention of selling books and also raising money for missions in the South Pacific region. Mm-hmm. So they head off, and because he had already canvassed towns towards Mikathara, he actually started selling after he got past there. Sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, what we know about this trip is quite amazing because Neville um, wrote letters home to his mother and he also wrote letters home to his sister, um, Ethel. Now, in the letters, he calls his sister Etheline. <laughs> rather, <laughs> That's cute. Rather than Ethel. Mm-hmm. And it is in these letters that we pick up some of the incredible stories of what happened on the journey, mm. the people he met, and uh, some of the experiences that they went through. And uh, this, I believe, our listeners this morning will actually find fascinating because I think a number of our listeners themselves have probably circumnavigated Australia, Mm -hmm. you know, on the Tarsiel Road with motels and accommodation. Mate, my mum, last year, the year before, you know, jumped in the the car, the caravan on the back and went all the way around. Big lap. Mm. Yeah. And amazingly, he also had a camera. Oh. And a movie camera. Wow. This guy was kitted (laughs) out. Yeah. So, you know. He had some amazing... Um, this is the pioneer of media ministry here. <laughs> equipment incredible. and gear, and, and off he went. Mm. And just let me share initially, some of the experiences are, are quite interesting. For instance, the moving along somewhere up north of um, Mikathara, mm. and, and the car runs out of petrol. Sure. <laughs> Classic. Now, <laughs> what you've got to understand is this car only has an 18-litre fuel tank. <laughs> That's, like, less than most, like, road, like, your 600-plus CC motorcycles. Well, yeah. yeah. So it's got an 18-litre fuel tank. Now, fortunately, mm. it's got a can in the back. Mm. So they start to, to move, you know, out of the little car to get the petrol and put it in the tank. Mm. And... They are in a middle of a paddock Mm. because at this point there is no road. They're actually Mm. driving through farms Mm. and a whole herd of cattle descend on them. And and (laughs) I mean cattle with horns and and looking quite brusque and 
And he says in his letter, Greg reached for his gun. Oh. <laughs> you know, he, he thought he was in danger. Yeah. And Neville said, no, 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 Greg, it's all right. They're, they're just curious. Mm. So very cautiously he got out, got the can, filled up the petrol, and the car started and they headed off again. Mm. Now, that was quite a, a minor experience compared with what um, then happens because a few miles up the road, they ran out of petrol completely. Oh, no. oh, uh, oh no. There's none in the tank and there's none, none in, in the, the jerry can. Oh. And he says, we walked 20 miles uh-huh. to the next station. That is <laughs> And then they walked back again, right? With the no, <laughs> they didn't. Oh. oh, they caught a lift. Fortunately, the station owner says... Let me lend you a car or a vehicle. Oh, so he drove them back. Mm. They filled up the Bubsy and off they headed mm. again. So where they came out from um, inside Western Australia, they came out near Broome. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, one of the delightful experiences that he records is that he connected with some family friends And they had a daughter, uh, probably about an 18-year-old, and he invited this young girl Mm -hmm. and her friend to go to the beach for the day on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know, you've probably seen on the pictures, Bubsy is not a wide car. No. (laughs) Um, It's probably, you know, less than this space here. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was really blessed to be able to see it in person up at, up at camp, and I can attest that the thing is tiny. Okay. Oh. Yeah. So, Neville plus two young ladies mm. are squeezed in across the front seat, which mm. is the only seat, and what uh, interests me is his description of he what he records back to his mum. He said, mm. I took so-and-so and so-and-so out to the beach, and it was a very enjoyable day. <laughs> in fact, he makes Somebody's another comment life. later. I am not having any social life, oh, apart from the trip to the beach, which I remember with affection. <laughs> but it was an enjoyable day. Mm. Now, his whole um, journey was um, the cost was met by him and Greg mm. selling their books. Yeah, absolutely. Our day in the light of prophecy. Mm. And so when they would come to a station, they would canvas the station um, owner and staff, sell books, and then ask if they could sleep overnight Mm. and get a meal. And it is absolutely amazing because through the journey, as he records it, he shares that under the blessing of God, he was able to sell sufficient books to fund the trip. And, in mm. fact, in one place he says, we are blessed staying in a hotel. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and um, eating like a king. In fact, I'll put on a few pounds. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, yeah, just thoroughly enjoying um, the experience. Mm. But what happens? The further they go, the less roads there are. Oh. Mm, of course. And once they got to Hall's Creek, things deteriorated rapidly. Mm. Because he talks about coming to streams, jumping out of the car with a pick and a shovel, and actually breaking the bank down wow. to be able to cross. 
and then breaking the bank down on the other side and with a block and tackle pulling the car up out of the creek to head on through the bush. He's just basically making his own roads. (laughs) He is basically making his own roads. In fact, he talks about stopping at a station and saying, where is the next station? And it's basically see that ridge up over there, Mm. you get up over there, and then you head northwest or or northeast. (laughs) Northwest or northeast, and it should. Roundabouts. Roundabout. Over there somewhere you will find (laughs) da-da. So, you know, this is incredible. Now, just out of Halls Creek, the gearbox gives up. Oh. Now, what do I mean by the gearbox? One of the gears, or sorry, one of the cogs in the gearbox stripped. Oh, rough. And this guy has enough um, mechanical knowledge. He pulls the gearbox out of the car. He pulls the thing apart, dismantles it, mm-hmm. gets out the cog and says, oh, we are in trouble. Mm. <laughs> And because they are way out of town, he walks into town, hires two horses, and they literally pull Bubsy into town. By horse. Pulling it by horse. Wow. And then he finds a blacksmith and asks, can you reconstruct the teeth on the cog? That is is incredible. Most modern-day travellers would not be... (laughs) up to this sort of uh, experience as they travel around. So the blacksmith starts actually putting the teeth back on the cog and they um, reassemble the gearbox, put it back in the car, load up, and they travel one uh, one mile and the cog strips again. Mm. So he pulls the gearbox out, pulls out the cog, and goes back to the blacksmith and says, can you do it again? And let's see if we can maybe temper, you know, the cog mm. and so on. So over the next few days, they do that, put it all back together again. And would you believe it, that cog held for the next 10,000 kilometres. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. That is awesome. Oh, man. I feel like we're just getting the introduction here. <laughs> Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.